Welcome to episode 185 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. How's it going, Brad? Uh, It was fine until about a half a second ago. Everything's going wonderful. How's it going with you? I'm good. Um, I saw that you posted to the Auto Off Topic Instagram. I have been. You put the head on the Toyota. So how'd that go? I did more than that. Oh, yeah? Um. So I think we left off. I was waiting for some gaskets. I need a front case gasket and a water pump gasket. Mm-hmm. So I got those. Um, and actually just yesterday, I got back over to the garage to work on the um, Little Lightning Toyota pickup truck. Um, and I got the timing chain installed, set the head down on top. Actually, I put the head down on top, pulled the timing chain up through, uh, put the cam gear on and got that uh, like hand tightened so I could you know get everything else lined up, timing chain lined up with the different color links to uh, make sure it's all timed up properly. Finally got the head bolts from the uh, head bolt supplier. So I got the head bolts on and torqued down, got the front case all put in, um, got the whole motor pretty much put together actually. So heads on, heads torqued down, new head gasket in there, new gaskets on the front case to block, new gaskets in the water pump to front case, new head bolts. Um, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt putting together something you didn't take apart, as I'm sure you know, because you need to go through all of the parts and make sure that the right bolts are going in the right holes and that all the parts are there and stuff's organized as best as I could when I got the truck. But it's still, you know, you're playing a guessing game until you're actually putting it back together. So played the guessing game as best I could uh, and got it mostly back together. Um, had a little bit of assistance from uh, from Jordan. Uh, he's out here with me. Uh, he's able to help me out with that stuff because he's a mechanic and he's quite good at it. So that's excellent to have his his hands and his expert opinion from time to time. Um he helped me with the organization of the bolts and lining up the right bolts and the right holes and making sure we were doing the right things and rated his parts his parts stash for some of the missing bolts that were in the in the truck because I know like I took the front case off and when I took the front case off there were a couple of bolts that just already weren't there so we got that all taken care of uh, got it all timed up spun the motor around make sure everything works everything seems to work um, the pistons go up and down. The camshaft moves in time with the pistons going up and down to open and close the valves properly. So everything seems to be timed good enough to work and not bend valves when we start it. So that's good. Um, got the exhaust manifold on and the intake manifold on and the carburetor on. Have the distributor in. And that's where we ran into our first real major snag. So... Problem is that the person that the previous owner of this truck got the truck from had no intention on ever putting it back together and he was parting it out to sell things. So when he took it apart, he kind of hacked some things apart that need to be paid attention to now. So there were a couple of important hoses that were just sliced in half, um, one of which was a coolant hose that goes from the heater core to the intake manifold. Another one was the vacuum hose that goes to the intake manifold to the brake booster. And then there was a problem because the wire that comes out of the distributor has two wires. And much like most vehicles, one of those wires goes to the coil and one is a ground. Um, Well, in this particular setup, um, the plug that that plugs into was missing. So I have the female end of the harness, but no male end of the harness. And we're searching all over the front of the truck, looking for the correct harness to plug into it. And it just doesn't exist. So now we're that, confused. That's super annoying. Super annoying. Um, That's kind of what stumbled us up. Our hope was actually to have the truck fired up last night. Not driving because we haven't sorted out the clutch hydraulics, but at least, you know, 
make a case point that, hey, this truck runs now, so we're on the downslope, getting everything done back together. Um, but it's not going to start running until we figure out that situation. So knowing what I know about ignition systems, I know that, like I said, those two wires, one of them has to go to the coil, and one is usually a ground. Um, so I'm looking at the coil, and I'm figuring there's probably a piece of a body harness somewhere that has the end on it that has, you know, like the, the green connector with two pins with one line out that has an eyelet on the end of it to screw, to bolt to the coil. And the other end of it, I don't know if it's going to be a connector or if it's going to be another eyelet to have a body ground or what. Um, but we can't find that end, that part of the body harness anywhere. So we dug a little further back and we cut open the factory harness that runs along the driver's side fender well. And there is a, um, there's three cut wires inside that harness. So now we're like, okay, well, clearly those go somewhere and it must be related somehow to our system that's not working properly. Um, but the colored wires are different color than come out of the distributor. So if there's one thing that Toyota was really good at in the seventies, their wiring harnesses were pretty well color coded from like front to back. So brains are going, well, I think we're missing something. We can't quite figure out what it is yet though, because everything that we know we need is there, right? You have a coil, you have a distributor inside the distributor. You have, it's like an antiquated electronic ignition setup. It doesn't have points. It has electronic ignition that looks like points. It breaks in the same way as points, but it's not points. Um, so we have that end, we have the distributor, we have the coil. Maybe there should be a resistor somewhere, but I'm not sure at this point because again, bought this truck in pieces and I've been putting it together. So it's kind of like a learning experience as you go along. I've never owned, actually that's not true. I have owned a 78 Toyota, but it was a totally different vehicle. It was a, a Toyota Cressida and it had a totally different setup in this as that car actually had points in it. So digging a little further, I can't figure anything out. So I don't have a repair manual for this particular truck. I did download the engine manual that I found online, which had all the torque specs and torque sequences for the cylinder head. And it had the timing situation and everything else set in it, but I didn't have anything about the ignition because it's probably a different section of the book. So doing a little more research, um, it turns out that there is an igniter box that goes on top of the coil. So the coil bracket has these two tabs on top of it that clip into the back of the igniter box. So I'm like, all right, well, obviously we need an igniter box. And probably what happens is three of those wires probably go into the back of the igniter box with a connector, the three that we found cut from the harness. And then there's probably a harness that comes off the front of the igniter box into the distributor harness, right? Makes sense, I'm assuming? Yeah, that sounds right. Right. So I start doing a little more research. Uh, do you have any guesses on what an igniter box for a 1978 Toyota pickup is worth, Andrew? Brand new from the factory. Oh, since you're asking me, $10. Uh, $800. Whoa! Yeah. So I'm not going to buy a factory igniter box from Toyota. That's for damn sure. Um, used ones go from between two to $300. Uh, that's probably why they sold it. And aftermarket ones are 250 to 350 depending on where you find them, if you can find Whoa. them. So that puts a definite stumbling block in the way because I'm not spending $800 for one part. I'm not. There's got to be a better way, right? Do any of these exist in junk cards? Yes. But a lot of times that part is missing. Now, this guy took this car apart in order to sell parts off of it, and the one thing that it seems like he was successful in selling was this igniter box, probably because they're rare and hard to come by in working order. Or maybe it was broken, and that's why the car stopped driving. I don't know. But it's not there regardless. Um, if you had electronic ignition, would you need this igniter box? Yes and no, I think. I'm not sure yet. I haven't looked into changing the distributor to a different setup yet. Um, the truck did come with a brand new set of factory Toyota points. So I don't know if there is some relation to that being able to be converted over. But regardless, I'm not doing that. I want this truck to run properly. 
um, if it, it's not a pretty truck, so I wanted to at least work correct. You know what I mean? So in doing a little more research, because Toyota trucks are so popular and because the 20R and the 22R are so common in the entire world, there's a workaround for this. Thankfully. It means the truck is not going to start in the next couple of days because I have a few parts in order now. Um, but the piece you need um, is a General Motors HEI coil setup. Hmm. Not a coil. Um, igniter. So you have to modify the wiring harness a little bit, which is fine because I don't have one anymore. Um, and you run this GM setup. So you need to buy the GM HEI unit, which is like $17. And the standard motor parts heat sink that has to go with it because it gets hot and this keeps it from boiling itself, which is like $13. So you're talking less than 40 bucks versus $800. And then you just have to rewire a few different things. Uh, it needs its own ground. It needs a couple of wires to need to be spliced and um, veed off into each other because it has you know power going into both sides of it. It's, it's some stuff I got to figure out. But there's plenty of documentation online on how to do this as far as pictures go. I think I'll probably try to make a video of it when I put it in so that anybody who runs across this in the future can at least have an easy-to-follow video, I hope. Um so now I have to wait for that stuff to come in before we can go any further and start this truck. So not at the end of the world, not a big deal. Just a uh, couple more bucks to spend. And I understand why the part was missing. I mean, if I was parting out a truck, I probably would have sold this piece too. And I probably would have cut the harness because the person who's buying it would probably want the ends, right? So probably if I, if my plan was to bring the thing to the junkyard, it wouldn't matter. So it's irritating, and I know how much irritated you get when it comes to wiring harnesses after building your oh, yeah. galant, after building oh, yeah. your lot. <laughs> so I knew that it would trigger you when I told you that story the first time, which it did. Um, mm-hmm. But everything else seems okay. I mean, I have a few things, odds and ends, I'm going to need to put together to make it, you know, fully roadworthy. But I think that might be the final stumbling block in the actually making the engine turn over. So, and then I can get down to the fun stuff because I haven't bought a lot of the fun stuff yet because I don't want to get upside down in a project that doesn't wind up working. So as it stands right now, I probably have $125 in parts in the car, Mm -hmm. which isn't, I I can come back from that. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I haven't bought new taillights. I haven't bought a grill. I haven't bought a fender or a hood or all this stuff yet, just because I want to make sure that we're on the right path. So Mm -hmm. Once I get this GM HEI setup converted into the truck, I think, you know, it should start and uh, we'll be on the path to making it cool. But first I got to make it work. So the saga continues. Unfortunately, much the same problem I had, you know, in Massachusetts when I lived there. Um, I don't have a garage in my current living situation. Working on rectifying that, but at the moment I don't. So the truck is uh, 45 minutes across town with no traffic. So it's not simple like I can just walk outside and wrench on it. I need to make sure yeah. I can get there, make sure that Jordan's home to open the garage. <laughs> I just need to mm-hmm. make sure that so it's, it's a it's not a simple task of getting it going, you know, in my driveway. So I gave myself that hard deadline of a month. Uh this weekend is a month. Um but I think that I've made enough progress that I can extend that a little bit. You know, the truck's not just sitting. If the truck was just sitting after a month, I was definitely going to get rid of it. Yeah. But I think it's gotten this far. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I was missing a piece that I didn't know I was missing, it probably would be running already. So, and this is not something that's common in earlier cars. Um, The Colt doesn't have anything like this. The 78 Colt doesn't have anything like this. It just runs off the coil and resistor. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, I've made pretty good progress. I'm actually pretty damn proud of myself for getting as far as I've gotten. No, it's good. Um, yeah. Without having the, uh, the Andrew hand the whole time pushing me along, which was always my, always well appreciated, but also a crutch. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's, it's coming along. Everything's together. The greasy bits are done except for the clutch master cylinder, which uh, clutch service cylinder, 
which I have. Um, I just could, I haven't put it on yet because I was working on it till about eleven o'clock last night. I was just like, all right, I'm done. I need to stop. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm 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 happy where it sits. Um, I've made that one month deadline without uh, resting on my laurels too much, and uh, it's been a weird month with everything else going on. So it's certainly uh, it's taken away some time working on the truck as well. So. But it's coming along, and I'm, I'm I'm happy, and I think it's it's a, it's a good. Like I said in the beginning, like this was a new, this truck was supposed to be like a a proof of concept project for me. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I can't collect bunches of junk and not fix them anymore. I need to fix things, and I'm I'm fixing it. So here we go. That's good. So yeah, hopefully by next episode we'll have. Well, depending on how long the parts take to come in. Mm-hmm. Shipping parts right now is not a priority with the shippers. So depending yep. on how long the parts take to come in, hopefully by next episode we'll have it running. If not, it won't be because I don't... It won't be because I haven't tried. It'll be because the parts aren't here. So Sounds good. Fingers crossed. Hopefully it will sound good. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Any uh, car projects for you over there? Or are you still fully uh, elbows deep in the kitchen? Uh, pretty deep in the kitchen, kind of at a, uh, point where I'm waiting for the electrician to get back to me. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm having stuff like cabinets delivered, uh, and appliances delivered because I thought it'd be further along, but because of things that have happened outside of everyone's control, I'm a little bit delayed. Right. But, uh, I'll just have to get as far as I can get. I did order... Um, directly from Meguiar's, their ceramic wax and ceramic detailer with like clay bar thing because I wanted to do Stephanie's car and my car because I think I talked about this when we first got Stephanie's car too. Dealers don't wax new cars anymore. Like at least, like I remember when I worked at the dealer and I was like 18, 19. Well, they don't have to. Because that true coat's applied at the factory. That's true. <laughs> I, uh, you know, at least like if I filled in the cleanup department, they at least threw a coat of like flash wax on the car to get rid of the the tape marks from peeling the paper off the car from shipping. And I remember after I picked up my car, it had like, it still had paper, like bits of paper on it and tape lines. I was like, okay. So you guys just like washed it and. <laughs> threw tire shine on it, whatever. <laughs> it was going to get all salty on the way home anyways. Right. 70s car was the same way. So my car needs a complete wax because it doesn't have anything. Uh, and luckily it wasn't that salty this winter. And then Stephanie's car needs a reapply, which I had used the Meguiar's comes in a blue bottle, spray bottle, and you would spray it and then hose it off with the ceramic stuff. And it seemed to work pretty well. Like her car would not, like dirt wouldn't stick to it as easily, especially that light blue color. You know, she'd go through like a touchless car wash and it would all pretty much come off, which sometimes doesn't happen with a touchless. Right. So as far as the daily drivers go, I'm going to try that ceramic stuff. I won't bother with it on the older cars because it just, it's completely unnecessary because they mostly live in the garage and I like wax them and then put them in the garage and, Maybe they get rained on. Yeah. 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 Maybe they get rained on once a season. So that's, I'm just waiting on a nicer day. Uh, At least we've had a bunch of rain. So there's definitely no salt in the ground. So there's that. So you could do car stuff if you could do stuff. I could. Just waiting for the weather to get a little bit warmer. I mean, I did clean the interiors really well the other day because it was sort of warm, but it was going to rain. So I just did the interiors. Right. Because, you know, the if you run, we both run all weather mats in the car. So they just fill up with all the dirt and sand that you pick up over the winter. Yeah, I, and blew, then, I blew a hole in my all weather mats in the Volkswagen. Mm, yeah, I need new ones. Not that I have weather here, but. They're not really like, I think I talked about it before, the weather techs aren't really like a mat either. That's probably why they call them a liner. Yeah, they are a liner. They got the sides. Yeah, they're different from like a floor mat. Um, well, the ones I have are the, the, the heavy duty Volkswagen ones. 
Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll just pick them up, dump them out, but it hadn't been that bad of a winter. So I just kind of let them fill up with the, the dirt and then picked them up, dumped them out, scrubbed them, put them back in. Yep. Looked good as new. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm really slacking on car care as far as my daily driver goes. I haven't even, I can't remember the last time I washed it. Yeah. It's not, it's not normal for me. No, I've been doing just touchless car washes, but it'd be nice to actually wash it. <laughs> I haven't washed it myself. Yeah, we don't have a lot of touchless car washes here. Most of them are brushed, which is annoying. But I don't mind taking the daily driver through a well-used um, brushed car wash. I know that that's against all car guy rules and whatnot, but I think as long as there's wax in the car and it's a a well-maintained, heavily used car wash. It's probably not as big of a deal. But I wouldn't take anything through there other than just the daily driver. But, And I'm sure everybody right now is yelling at me, but at least I washed the car. Yeah, the biggest thing off. I'm worried about with um, the darker green is getting swirl marks. So I, I really want to get a coat of wax on there. Yep. And, uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, I can see swirl marks in my car. And I know they're from the car wash, but I know I can also polish them out. No problem at all. So I'm not like, mm-hmm. I, I it, it's, it's one of those things where I'd rather have a clean car than a dirty car <laughs> and right. to go all the way out of the, I, unfortunately I live in an apartment right now, so I don't yeah. have the option of washing the car in the driveway. My options are either go to the brushed car wash or go to the coin car wash and the coin car wash is a brush anyway. And right. I don't know. I feel like that's, just as bad if not worse sometimes because it's not maintained whereas the drive-through tunnels here are super high-tech very well maintained and they do a really nice job in the car so mm-hmm. i think um again everybody's yelling at me right now but and i get why they're yelling at me because i would yell at me too but i have been running the volkswagen through the car wash so yeah i mean i the other thing i like is i do need to get some more of the mcguire's white wax for the the glot i don't know what it is but they claim it's for white paint or light colors and personally in my eye looking at it on a white car it does seem to make it shine a little deeper i don't know i'm sure if they market it that way there's probably a reason for it could be all in my head who knows but it could be makes me feel good so could be all in my head that it's okay to run my car through a brushed car wash. It sure is. <laughs> all right. So you have not watched the Tiger King yet. I have not watched the Tiger King. No. Okay. So this, but I assume of- based on everything I'm hearing that Tiger King is a self-given name. Um, Sort of. I don't want to give it away. A lot of people watched it though, and if you have Netflix, I know you're hanging around right now. It's worth a watch. It's I'm only still, seven episodes. I'm still working. What are you doing at night other than podcasting? Working, working on the Toyota sometimes. It's no, seven hours I've, closer to the end of this. Maybe I've I've learned uh, everything I know about Tiger King. I've learned from Facebook memes. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. I feel like I get it already, but it got me thinking about uh, a couple ad campaigns that had to do with cars. Specifically, um, put a tiger in your tank. Do you know what that one's from? That is Exxon. Exxon. But did you know? It depends. Uh, did you know that Time Magazine said 1964 was the year of the tiger in advertising? Did they say that in 1964 or in a retrospective yeah. looking back? Nope. In at, at the end of 1964. Okay. So there's several reasons and a few of them are correlated. And when I looked into it, it all goes back to the Needham, Lewis, and Brobery ad agency who conceived and staged the advertising campaign for the Oklahoma oil company in 1959. Okay. Some interesting synchronicity. And that um, ad campaign was put a tiger in your tank. Okay. It was all the way back to 59. 
Now, the history of like oil companies splitting and acquisitions is like pretty convoluted. So eventually the Oklahoma Oil Company became part of the Humble Oil Company, Humble, Texas. Not not the Humble Oil Company, just stay humble, right? Hashtag stay humble. Sure. Um, yeah. The, the, 19, the, the famous 1959 hashtag, stay humble. Yeah. So, and then whose parent company is Standard Oil. Uh, eventually, in the East, Humble-owned gas stations were known as SO stations. And in the West, uh, they were Humble stations. Okay. That oh that That is like another crazy thing to me, too. We talked about gas station on an episode, but like the way... Oil companies will split and brand their stations, even though the same stations, like where like Speedways became Hess's. All the way around, Hess became Speedway. No, they became Speedway here in in Mass. Yeah, but they were Hess before. Right. But it's like, what's the difference? <laughs> well, it's, it's it's all, they're, yeah. they're they're different companies, aren't they? No, I think they were. I think they're owned by the same company. We're going to have a tangent that's not important at this it's, moment. It is kind of important. Well, I only want to talk about ExxonMobil. So okay. we'll stick with that. I was just using that example, how they like split and it, it gets weird. So the Exxon brand, that came much, much later. Uh, and eventually they merged with mobile. So ExxonMobil, same thing. So, and then in 1964, the famous ad agency, Erickson rolled out the put a tiger in your tank campaign in May of 1964. So they did it nationwide. That's May of 64. Yep. Because I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here or not, but I also remember there was a certain Pontiac that used tigers in 64 as well. Jumping a little bit ahead. All right. Then I'll uh, reversing right back. So according to just throwing on a a Pavlov's gun to you there. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Chekhov's gun. It's a Chekhov, yeah. Pavlov's dogs, Chekhov's gun. Wow, yeah. they weren't yelling at me before for the uh, for the car wash stuff. I'm screwed now. Chekhov's so, gun. I was looking up stuff, and according to a November 4th, 1946 article in the New York Times, remember that date, that'll be important later, an unnamed Humble Oil spokesperson claimed the Put a Tiger in Your Tank slogan was responsible for the waves of word-of-mouth publicity and tie-in promotions. So, for example, competing gas stations put up signs like, we've got a filter that removes tiger hairs. Awesome. Uh, Independent companies started making tiger toys and products. Companies that Uh, weren't owned by, so not owned by the gas stations, not related to the gas stations, just to. Okay, wow. That's a serious, uh, that's some serious clout on that ad campaign then. It was also reported that intrepid gas station owners would hire people to wear tiger costumes or women to wear tiger-themed bathing suits to attract customers or put cages around gas pumps. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, it. During the 64 Olympics, when the U.S. Olympic t- swim team nearly swept the event, it was said the United States put a tiger in the Olympic tank. Wow. I mean, that's some... That's some cultural impact, right? That's a hell of a marketing campaign. That's that guy deserves all the money he got for that campaign. That's for sure. Right. So then I was looking up, of course, this brings us to Pontiac, right? Because you're like, wait a minute, didn't the GTO come out in 64? Yep. So according to PontiacV8.com, the blog, uh, in September 2019, a post, uh, they covered, they talked about the Tiger ad campaign. And uh, there, they said the ex- earliest example of Pontiac using Tiger as a marketing campaign was actually in '63 in a '63 Tempest ad. Okay, and it shows two Tempests. One is in the facing front, and one is facing back. And it just says, "Can you tell which Tempest is the Tiger?" And then the rest of the um. What it says underneath is it says easy. The one on the right gets its power from the Tempest four, you know, the four that runs around acting like a V eight. So you have to call it a tiger. The other one is, has Tempest new three twenty six cubic inch, 260 horsepower V eight under the hood. That's good for two tigers, at least optional. <laughs> and no extra cost. 
Both give you Pontiac's wide track stability. So are you like mad that it costs you extra? <laughs> I'm not sure what that even means. The V8, like what so it the says. V8 yeah. is extra, obviously. Right. I'm confused by that whole statement. Well, if we go on a tangent here and talk about 61 to 63 Pontiac Tempest. Yeah, they're weird cars. Which is, a, yeah, a brainchild of John DeLorean. Yep. Well, everything at Pontiac at that, that time was John DeLorean. The, the GTO was him, too. Mm-hmm. It was the first. I didn't know any of this. This this blew my mind the other day. The first U.S. production car to have a four-cylinder since the Model A. I knew they had a four-cylinder. I did not know it was the first four-cylinder in that long. That's yeah. crazy. It used a transaxle from the Corvair. Yep, so it had almost like a modern-day, well, not the brand-new Corvette, but up until the C7 Corvette, it had the transmission in the back with a torque tube running to the engine. Like a super thin torque tube that like curved up and almost gave you a flat floor. Okay. Like a front-wheel drive car. Yep. And, and the engine, which was called the Trophy 4, was a 389 V8 cut in half. Right. Like, so, like legitimately just cut in half. Yeah, it was the right bank of cylinders. Yeah. So imagine a 3.2 liter four cylinder with no balance shafts. I, I can imagine it. I would need to go to the dentist more often because my teeth would fall out. Yeah, they ended up masking the vibration with giant rubber mounts, engine mounts, I guess. And early on, supposedly they broke timing chains from the vibrations. Yeah, more than likely. It's huge. But it's like, I feel like most 60s Pontiacs are so eclipsed by GTOs that you don't really see other Pontiacs. At least I don't or really hear about them unless well, you're like yeah, the into G- them. The GTO was the super successful one. And then you had all the other GM cars at the time that were, other than the Corvair, were pretty traditional vehicles. There wasn't a lot of um, extreme engineering going on or crazy marketing. Other than Oldsmobile, which had its Jetfire Turbo V8, which we talked about in the past. Um, but other than that, most things were pretty standard operation as far as cars go. So that's what's super cool and weird today is because everything is so uh, badge engineered across GM that back at that time period, every mark actually did their own engineering and had their own gimmicks. Yeah, but that's part of the reason that they failed so miserably in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of the brands are gone because they had no money left. Yeah, it was cool. But yeah, eventually it just didn't work. Well, it made made sense at the time because uh, automotive automobiles in general were still pretty early on in their in their development. You got to think the 1960s was only 40 years prior in 1920. Cars were still a luxury item, really. You know, the Model A right. was just really starting to take off and there wasn't a huge... So you're talking 40 years of technology. You're still in, in the infancy of an industry and they were still trying to change different things and each manufacturer ran as its own manufacturer. You know, GM was a parent company, but there wasn't a lot of money changing hands between Chevy, Pontiac, Buick, Oldsmobile, Cadillac. There was a lot of... They were run almost as independents on their own. And that was... Yeah. At the time, there wasn't a lot of foreign competition, and you were able to do that and get away with it. And then it's just they didn't change with the times fast enough. Yeah, I didn't realize that Pontiac had to buy their early V8s from Buick. Okay, that makes sense. Because they didn't have one. And then apparently it was some directive early on that GM wanted all of them to share the Corvair platform and kind of badge engineer it to compete with imports and Pontiac was like, eh, we don't want to do that. So then they just used the transaxle in the Tempest. Okay. And so it's kind of Corvair based, but not just the transaxle part. Yeah. And they needed a four cylinder, but they didn't have one and they didn't have enough money to engineer one from the ground up. So that's why they cut the V8 in half. That's so crazy. It's crazy that you would cut it in half longitudinally right well like, ford you just ford cut them in half in the middle and made the v4s which makes sense because you don't get the secondary vibration if you had a v4 you don't get the secondary vibration and the only thing you're changing really to make it work is 
making the casting have two cylinders instead of four. Like you just make a smaller crank and a shorter camshaft and smaller cylinder yeah. heads. Like there's, yeah, it's a lot less engineering to make a V4, I would think, than to make it um, an inline four. Plus, the difference is not only was that um, a huge displacement inline four, but was the firing order changed? I don't know what the firing order is. It I mean, must it, have been. It must have been because on the V8, you probably would have had two pistons on that side, possibly, you know, up in the top of their stroke at the same time too. Maybe I don't know. It's weird. It's crazy. I, I don't know enough about it to say any more about it, but it's just it's it's crazy. It was a real, it's a really strange engine that I never knew existed because I don't think I've ever seen one in person. You probably have and just didn't even think about it. Yeah it was weird it's weird but it's cool it's kind of cool at the same no, time it's, it's very cool i i kind of so, want one i have ever since i learned there were transaxle cars i've always kind of wanted one just to look at it and play with it a little and learn how it works plus they're pretty too yeah they're good looking yeah so the other cool thing so now that New York Times article came out in on November 6th or 4th, I think. Um, on November 16th, 1964, I saw on a website, Pontiac sent a dealer, it was dated, Pontiac sent a dealer letter out advertising or advising dealers of the new Have You Priced a Tiger Lately campaign. So from 64 to 67, this was when Pontiac went all out with the Tiger marketing kind of thing so that's when pontiac referred to the new gto as its new tiger and then since us royal which became uniroyal was the oem tire supplier with the super safety 800 oh it started tiger, tiger, paw. tiger paw yeah right isn't that yeah. crazy yeah that's crazy so in, and they did that in separate advertisements with cartoon tiger stripe versions of an early gto hmm yep uh, so Pontiac then had the tiger under your hood ads, which would often be photos of live tigers in print, or they'd have them in TV ads and they'd like jump out from under the hood. That's crazy. Well, I'd also know that the famous, uh, Pontiac drag car of the time was the Arnie Bestwick car, which is painted like a giant tiger. Yep. So I believe that was done at the dealer level, whatever dealer backed them. That was their decision to go in with yeah. the tiger advertising. Oh, sure it was. Tiger. But yeah, it's kind of weird how it just all kind of fell together. And then of course there was the Sunbeam Tiger. Right. Which was the American V8 version of the Sunbeam Alpine. Right. It was kind of a Cobra fighter at the time. Interesting story about that. So the name was probably inspired by the 1925 Sunbeam Tiger land speed car. Okay. Um, however, it's just interesting that it also debuted in 64. Yeah, same year. So initial prototypes were built by Ken Miles. Yep. And Carol Shelby. Yep, I did know that. In 1963, yeah. To prove the V8 could fit. And I guess it proves again when you want to build a hot rod car, you go to Hot Rod Central SoCal. Yeah, but I also know that that was part of the reason that they went to the Cobra afterwards because there was something with the Sunbeam that they weren't allowing them to do with how they wanted to do it, I think. And that's how they went no, to AC. The Sunbeam company, I think it's Roots, they went to Miles you're... and Carol Shelby because they had already seen what Carol Shelby had done with the Oh, tweeter. okay. It's the other way around. Okay. I knew there was some overlapping stuff. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. Now, originally, Shelby wanted the contract to build the cars, I guess, in the United States, but they were kind of worried about how close he was related to Ford, even though they had to buy the engines for Ford. So they ended up building them in the uh, Jensen factory. Okay. Over in England. Yeah, that makes sense. And those were 289 cars, I think, correct? Yeah. That's neat. But, you know, they had like 160 horsepower. Yep. Which is a lot for a little car. Yeah. And uh, I guess some fun little facts, even though, I mean, think about the British build quality at the time. 
they did have to use like sledgehammers, I guess, at the factory. That was part of the assembly process was to sledgehammer the painted and primed firewall. To fit the V8. Fit the V8. That's funny. The um, Sunbeam Tiger has actually only fairly recently become an expensive proposition. Like they used to be fairly, like they were always pricier than a, a, you know, a Sunbeam Alpine. Um, Mm -hmm. but they've only recently become like unobtainium expensive. Like they're trading north of $75,000 now for a decent car. Wow. Yep. Yeah. They've gone up quickly all of a sudden. I think they're really cool looking cars. They're well proportioned. Oh, they're perfect looking cars. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't even buy a a four cylinder Alpine because you could hot rod it with less um, worry about it, Put a modern higher powered four cylinder in it. You could actually... I guess work on it. Cause I guess that V eight is a very tight fit. I imagine it is. Um, but I would think that if you put like a modern 160 horsepower four cylinder in probably still a better weight balance and it'll oh, probably sure. drive better. Um, but still have the same look, obviously not taking away from the engineering done in 1964. Cause that was cool. 1963, I should say, but just a different, a different way to get a different way to get the same result. Yeah. Uh, it was also the hero car get smart, which was like one of my favorite shows as a kid. Yes, it was, except for the first episode. And then later on, they oh, changed well, to a Volkswagen. What did he have in the first episode? He had a Ferrari 250. Oh. The, the, first, the first pilot episode, he had a Ferrari. Black and white. Yep. Yeah, because then it went to color, and he had the the Sunbeam. And he had a Volkswagen for a while, too. I don't know if it was the last season or... Was it a Carmen Ghia? He had a Carmen Ghia, yep. Weird. Yeah, there are a few different games. cars. Yeah. Yeah, the first one was cool because it was a Ferrari, but obviously the show probably didn't have the budget to buy a Ferrari. I'm sure it was right. probably loaned to them by somebody. Just for the yeah, so I thought that was really interesting that all that car stuff had to do with Tigers, and it just kind of, watching that documentary just kind of made me think of it. Happened to be 64. Now, have you mm-hmm. ever watched the uh, Being John DeLorean movie? I hadn't watched it yet. Okay. You told me it was kind of strange. It's strange. It's it's informative, though. It's got a lot of true facts in it. Now, two DeLorean movies came out at the same time. You're talking about the one that had... Um, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin in it? Okay. Because yeah. there's another one that's like more fiction-y, I think. So this was weird because it was like a documentary, but then it had dramatic scenes cut into it with Alec Baldwin as DeLorean. And then they would interview Alec Baldwin as if he knew DeLorean, which is kind of weird. Oh, so like too much fourth wall breaking kind of weirdness. It wasn't even fourth wall breaking. It was like there was no wall. Okay. Yeah, it was like they put up like a a, a fourth wall baby gate and just kind of kept stepping back and forth oh. over it. It was real weird. But it was informative. Um, I'm really good or I shouldn't say good. I'm really bad when watching factual movies about cars because I pick out too much stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And that particular movie did not have a lot to pick out of it. I mean, there were a few things um, like the hero. I should say the hero car, but they showed the GTO to the you know John DeLorean showed it to the higher ups in GM and it had a Krager SS's on it or something, which wouldn't have had at the time. Yeah. Um, and there's a video shown in the background. The guy's like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's the new GTO. And the video like legitimately showed like a 63 Catalina. Oh, and I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> but other than that, as far as other stuff goes, it was pretty factually correct. And it was it was enjoyable. I don't know what's on Amazon Prime yet. Or not. I think it is. Um, We saw it in a, a special run theater here. So I have another thing, a theory here. So Uh-oh. Tony the Tiger. Yep. Debuted 1952. Okay. From the Leo Burnett ad company in Detroit. Eventually, Leo Burnett acquired the ad, the advertising agency that Pontiac used in Detroit. But I couldn't find any direct claims for an agency that cre- that they created the Pontiac campaign. So I'm wondering if it was somebody there that just that had like changed company? tigers on the brain. Or an employee that went from one company to the other. Yeah. Like, hey, this works pretty had... well for the cereal. Let's work for uh, something else. Or just like tigers are hot right now. 
Let's do Tigers. Well, they're certainly hot right now. They are. Thanks to that crazy-ass documentary. And then another weird thing. In the late 90s, so ExxonMobil brought the Tiger back. The Kellogg Company sued over copyright because it was animated. And they claimed it was too close to Tony the Tiger. I don't remember that, but that sounds like a 1990s story versus a 60s story. It was eventually ruled that, that since both companies are not direct competitors, it was okay for Exxon to use the Tiger. Yeah, which makes sense. But I believe now, if I've been to an Exxon station lately, they just use like a live action photo of a Tiger. They don't use an animated one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. That's the same thing. Like you can use a clown to advertise something and McDonald's can't like come at you because, hey, we have a clown. But if you made a fast food restaurant with a clown, they'd be like, wait a second. That was, you know, red and yellow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it was just kind of a weird thing because I guess, you know, tigers are exotic and powerful. It aligns with the history of naming vehicles after powerful animals. So maybe that's where Pontiac was coming from. And maybe it's just one of those examples of ideas that are. You know, because ideas are kind of built collectively, like rarely things happen in a vacuum and tigers just kind of hit a point in pop culture that it worked really well for advertising gasoline and cars, among other things. Just a strange thing. It it presents a a powerful thing that everybody knows is powerful. So it makes an easy, it's an easy like relation in people's brain. Like tigers are strong and powerful. This thing must be strong and powerful because it has a tiger. Or maybe they didn't want to, I'm almost wondering, I'm now I'm just talking out of nowhere. GTO is kind of a weird thing to call your car because well, nobody was, knew what it was. Yeah, but it was related it, to, it was related to a Ferrari. Ferrari stuff, the Gran Turismo Omnigato. Um, And maybe it was like a cheeky way to, maybe they wanted to call it the Pontiac Tiger but maybe they couldn't get away with it. I don't know. Yeah, that's a possibility. They, they were they were going for a European thing when they made it, so. Well, that's the thing. DeLorean was kind of obsessed with Ferrari, right? Yeah. Or am I thinking, I'm, I'm confusing with Iacocca, but he was probably trying to go after Ferrari, so I'm kind of wondering, maybe, maybe somebody was like, we should call this Pontiac Tiger, right? And... Maybe he was like, no, it should be called the GTO or something. Who knows? I, I, I have no idea. I wouldn't be able to speak with that without totally speaking out of turn. So I, I always thought that there was a, a connection to they wanted the thing to be European, to compete against European sports cars, but do it in an American way. And that's how they did the GTO to make that connection to the European stuff. But I could be wrong, too. Who knows? I did it not could have been. That. I'm sure this Sunday. is well documented somewhere. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't clear. It's interesting though. I'm just thinking of it. It just could be like, it's just a weird thing that they decided to call it the Tiger. We'll have to do another episode in the future about nomenclature of all the vehicles. So. Well, yeah, because at the time you had like Barracuda, um, Mustang, clearly Mustang '64. Yep. So maybe they thought like animal names were hot, and. Uh, it could it could have been as simple as somebody had the trademark on calling a car a tiger, like Sunbeam. <laughs> yeah, it's possible, but you can nickname a car, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know because it was, yeah, I had a, I had a thought, and now it's gone. But I, I I don't know the answer to any of that stuff. So it'd be interesting to look into it a little more. So that's all I had on tigers. I thought it was kind of relevant for this, uh, this space and uh, the zeitgeist where we are. So it's anything super else? Relevant. Super relevant right now. Uh, I don't have anything else, Andrew. Yeah, I don't have much else. Um, you can always follow us on Auto Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. I started going back, looking at some older photos that I hadn't looked at in probably 12 years. 
Yeah, I, I saw never you actually made it. Post that one from what 2008 today. Yeah, they never actually made it to Instagram before, so I figured oh, now's a good time to re-edit them and throw them up there. Uh, oh, you should also check out our Out Off Topic YouTube channel. I actually just put up a video on the coilover install for the Talon, which actually, covers all I watched that first gen. All-wheel drive DSMs. I watched that whole video yeah. today. It was actually, uh, it's very good. It's uh, not to toot our own horn, but it's very informative without a lot of fluff. It's just, this is how you do it, and uh, this is how it goes. Yeah, I uh, I did it uh, during the summer, and then I just got busy, and I never edited it. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of bored today. I should finish that video because I have no reason to leave the house. I can just edit it. So. Yep. Brad? Where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. All right, cool. And uh, as we find out when events are open again, we'll start talking about them. But for now, just uh, stay home and help everybody out. And uh, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses. (laughs) 